Welcome to Law and Life. My name's Mal Byrne. Um, now, the program is proudly sponsored by TGB Lawyers, who are at 6 Ann Street, Salisbury, and 11A Adelaide Road, Gawler. And I'm here today with my colleague, Luke, who's an expert on traffic law, and we're going to talk about random breath testing machines and uh, going to court if you've got a traffic charge, etc. But while Luke and I are going to be doing a lot of talking, we'd like to hear from you, the Northern Suburbs listeners. So please, if you have any questions about traffic law, phone in on 82501627. Good morning, Luke. Morning, Mal. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. So um, there's a lot of reality television programs that deal with um, random breath testing machines and stopping at random breath testing machines. But am I right in saying they're a little bit deceptive if you're a South Australian uh, program watcher as to what the actual obligations are? Yeah, yes, they can be, uh, Mal. Uh, obviously, uh, Road Traffic Act and Motor Vehicle Act is uh, unique to South Australia. Uh, that's her, what we're governed by in terms of legislation. Uh, and each state has their corresponding legislation that governs uh, road traffic offences. Uh, there's the Australian Road Rules, which is, uh, again, uh, another piece of legislation that deals with uh, stops, you know, stopping at stop signs, give way, uh, and all of the other uh, road sign uh, offences. Um, but uh, unique to South Australia, we have our own legislation, as does each state. So from state to state, there will be a, a difference in what constitutes a penalty, what obligations the driver has, uh, and certainly there are uh, cross-territorial provisions um, where uh, South Australian drivers can uh, have demerit points incurred for interstate offences which do apply to their South Australian licence. But uh, no, you're right in saying that uh, South Australia has its own uh, road traffic legislation and there's some 600, 650 provisions or regulations that are, are dealt with. Okay. So let's start with random breath testing machines. So say I'm driving down Phillip Highway or Commercial Road and I see in the distance a random breath testing unit. And I also see just prior to that unit, there's a left turn. And if I'm a little bit worried about, you know, I might have just come from the pub or something, I'm a little bit worried about what I might blow. Um, am I allowed to turn left before the RBT? But typically if the copper... Um, you know, might be signalling to me that um, he might want me to pull in? Yes, certainly. So if uh, it is an offence to uh, evade or avoid a uh, random breath testing station, uh, in the, the example you give, uh, if there is a RBT ahead and you have been waved in by the police officer and you chuck a left turn or you do a U-turn, uh, that would be commissioning a, a criminal offence of avoiding an RBT. Different, however, if um, the station is ahead of you and there happens to be a left or a right turn that you can uh, legally make uh, and the police officer hasn't waved you through or indicated, that would not uh, be a criminal offence because ordinarily if uh, police wanted you to, uh, to submit to the testing station, they probably wouldn't leave you a, a left or a right turn available. So ordinarily they're placed in a very um, inconspicuous place where you can't make a left or right turn. But certainly if you are waved through uh, and, you, and you do not, uh, that will be the, a criminal offence. All right. So assume that I'm waved in to, to give a test. Uh, and I haven't done this for a while. And, and since, I don't think I've done it since drug testing, since the machines were um, adjusted so that they can detect uh, drugs as well as alcohol. Um, so the police officer provides me with the machine and asks me to blow. Um, firstly, I'm obliged to, if I don't, if I say no, I don't want to do it, what am I? What am I at risk of, of 
committing. Uh, so you will be committing an offence for refusal to submit to a, an ALCO test. Uh, the uh, police officer does have an authority to direct you to submit to an ALCO test. What's probably unknown or uh, there's little knowledge on is that uh, the Commissioner of Police actually has to endorse police officers with that authority. So not every police officer will necessarily have the authority to uh, request a driver submit to an ALCO test. They are uh, published in the Gazette of those who do have the authority to do that, although the vast majority of police officers would automatically be given that authority by the Commissioner upon them becoming a police officer. So if you were minded to, you could ask the police officer if they do have the authority to provide or to request you to submit to the ALCO test. The reality is they probably do if they're there at the station, at the IBT station that is, but certainly once they uh, have pulled you over and they request you to submit to an ALCO test, you do have an obligation to submit to that, otherwise you'll be committing an offence by refusing to do so. And how can the, the police officer verify that they have that authority? Is it on the ba um, badge or card? or? or? Uh, they, uh, it's, it's gazetted and, and the uh, Commissioner of Police will issue them with uh, an authority, uh, I suppose, licence to do so. Um, if you do request them to provide proof of that, uh, then certainly they would have uh, some documents on them to, to establish their authority. All right. So the police officer presents me with the, the, the machine and asks me to blow. Um, I've, often on these television programs, you'll see people struggling to... Because you have to blow for a certain number of seconds, I think, before the machine actually registers. What if you blow and you just don't blow hard enough and the machine doesn't register? Yes, so the uh, police's authority um, extends to uh, requesting you to submit multiple times if uh, you are having difficulty, uh, I suppose, giving them enough of, uh, of air to uh, measure your blood alcohol concentration. If, that, if it's deliberate, and uh, you often do see on those TV shows uh, drivers that seem to give a bit of a half-hearted blow into the machine uh, or simply don't blow long enough after repeated attempts, uh, they can be charged with uh, a refusal to submit uh, if there is an actual intention to try and avoid or mess up the machine. Um, but the police officer will give you a number of opportunities, uh, I suppose you could call it that, uh, to at least give a, a blow that returns a reading. So what if perhaps you have a... Are there any exemptions? You know, For example, if you're, say, an elderly person with emphysema or some sort of lung condition or, or heart condition which might actually impact on their ability to blow for the required number of seconds. Um, if you are someone with that sort of condition and, and you just can't blow properly, what, what should you do? Certainly, uh, if that's going to become an issue, there is a, an authority uh, or a right, should I say, under the Road Traffic Act for a driver to request a blood test. That right uh, doesn't matter uh, whether you are elderly with emphysema or you're, you're healthy. Uh, and if you uh, return a positive reading on the uh, breath tester, bearing in mind that uh, only gives an indication of what your blood alcohol concentration is, uh, then you can actually request as a matter of right to be conveyed to the hospital and have a blood test. Uh, now, there are inherent dangers in that. Uh, obviously, the reading could go up by the time you have your, your blood test taken if, if your last drink was only a short time before. Uh, but it's also a benefit that the reading could go down and, and that could determine a, a rate of elimination. So if there is someone having difficulty blowing into the machine uh, and they don't want to be charged with avoiding a random breath test, they can request uh, to be uh, given a blood test. Um, now, um, and I, fortunately, when I've ever given a test, I've never blown positive. But if you do blow positive, um, I note on these, these television programs, they normally request you to come back to the 
um, police station for to give a further test. Um, is that the case in South Australia? Is so it you, positive? Uh, yes. So the, the first reading, the normal handheld operating machine, uh, is indicative only, and that will give a, a reading of, of positive or negative uh, in terms of the blood alcohol concentration. Uh, it will then uh, give a, a range, which I again repeat is indicative. They then uh, have to uh, submit you to a second test if you return a positive reading, and that's the one you often see in the TV shows where they've got the tube in the van, uh, and then that will give the actual precise reading of blood alcohol concentration. Uh, it's after that that the driver can um, choose. As I said, it's, it's a right. They don't have to exercise that. If they have a, a positive reading and then a, a reading above 0.05, they can choose to uh, submit to a blood test at the hospital. So with um, drug testing, does the Alco test machine, the one that you blow into, does that also um, uh, detect drugs as well or is it a separate machine? No, that's a separate machine. Um, it's often referred to the blue stick and that's effectively a little, uh, picture it like a, a USB size mechanism, uh, that's placed on your tongue for a certain period of time. Uh, that will then return a, a reading of either positive or negative uh, to MDMA or um, cannabis um, and that's effectively similar to a pregnancy test, it'll show up little lines of a red colour on some white paper, again, indicative of positive. That sample uh, then is sent to the Forensic Science SA, and they do the actual reading as to whether there is a drug in the system, precisely what drug it is, and the concentration of that drug. And if you're at an RBT station and, and you give the ALCO test, and then the police officer then produces the, the blue tube, you have to do both? Yes, you do. Often they uh, will have one or the other. Uh, it's either an RBT for alcohol or an RBT for um, or for drugs. Uh, but there is absolutely no uh, problem with you having been submitted to both. Okay. So now in in South Australia, in terms of blood alcohol readings, um, am I right in saying if anything under 0.05, if you're not a P plate driver, is okay? But once you hit 0.05 you could be in trouble. Yes, that's right. So uh, for L-platers or P-platers, uh, any uh, blood alcohol concentration of any reading will be an offence uh, because it's a condition of both of those licences to, uh, to have 0, 0.0. Um, same for the uh, driver with a, sorry, for the passenger uh, with an L-plater, they have to be of 0, 0.00, so they can also be uh, subjected to committing an offence. Once you hit 0.05 to 0.08, uh, that is uh, what's constituted a Category 1 uh, reading, and that will render you liable to a significant fine of about $1,100 and three months disqualification. Uh, it then increases from 0.08 to 0.15, which is Category 2, and that's $1,300 fine uh, and six months loss of licence. And then there's 0.15 and above, which is Category 3 and that, that is a minimum licence disqualification of 12 months with a $1,600 mm -hmm. fine. And uh, the magistrate, because you will be summoned to court in those situations, uh, has a discretion to impose a fine, uh, uh, sorry, a, a disqualification higher than the uh, um, 12 months. And depending on where you are on the scale, if it's significantly above 0.15, uh, often you'll get a, a heftier licence disqualification. And if you blow between 0.8 and 0.15, the, am I right in saying that the minimum disqualification period is six months? Six months. And so if, say, you blow just under 
five, you could be looking at perhaps 10 or 11 months, depending on the, yes, the so magistrate. Yes, that's so, right. So the magistrate might take the view that you were significantly close to 0.15, which is category three, uh, and therefore uh, that warrants a, a, a higher than the usual minimum, uh, but that can only go up to 12 months. Uh, so it's six months to 12 months, because obviously you're, you're bordering into category three penalties. So yeah, you're right in saying that. And those minimum disqualification periods are mandatory as they far are. as um, blowing 0.8 or 0.15. So it doesn't matter whether you need your licence for work or not. If you, That's not going to help you. Uh, it might help you get a lower suspended period, but you'll cop the minimum regardless. Yeah, that's right. Ordinarily, if someone is pulled over by police and they return the positive reading and then they, they have a bloody alcohol concentration of any one of those scales I've referred to, they'll be issued with immediate loss of licence. So they'll lose their licence on the spot. Uh, you will then be summoned to court and any of those minimum penalties uh, available to the magistrate to impose. Uh, how, however, often the magistrate, if requested to do so by the defendant, uh, will take into account the time already served on the immediate loss of licence. So if it's six months uh, in, in between you originally committing the offence and uh, showing up to court and pleading guilty and you've served that time, ordinarily that time will, will, be, will constitute uh, the disqualification Credit. period, but the magistrate can increase <coughs> it uh, as they have a discretion to do so. Um, but you're right, the, the old days of getting permits or you know, extended licences to drive to and from work are, are well and truly gone. Uh, the fact of life is that the courts are sick and tired of seeing drink drivers come before them and the governments take a pretty uh, strict view that now you do have to serve disqualification and there's no way of avoiding that. Um, so with blood testing, you, am I right in saying that you have a right to request a blood test yes. uh, if you blow a positive reading? Is it fair to say that also, given that the two machines, you know, machines are perhaps, you know, have can have flaws or might not necessarily be as accurate, is it fair to say that a blood test reading would carry more or can carry more weight than the um, the, the readings from the machines? Absolutely, yes. So uh, what blood testing does uh, that the uh, breath testing machine cannot do is actually determine uh, the precise reading. Uh, because that is what it is, a measure of your blood alcohol concentration. But that also goes to demonstrate uh, the rate of elimination. So if someone returns an extremely high reading on the breath test machine at the station uh, to later then have a blood test which is significantly lower, and for example it drops them down from category 3 to category 1, so from above 0.15 to 0.05 to 0.08, what that demonstrates is that um, the rate of elimination is so high that the uh, breath testing machine uh, must have been flawed or, or was uh, had a malfunction, and often that can be grounds to uh, avoid, uh, I suppose, the higher disqualification because it will be taken that your reading is in Category 1 as opposed to Category 3. So uh, I would always recommend anyone when faced with uh, a positive reading uh, for blood alcohol concentration submit to the blood test because you just don't know whether the uh, machine is calibrated correctly or when it was last calibrated. And am I right in saying that also if you're going to have a blood test, don't muck around, get it done basically straight away? Absolutely, yes. So there was a, a recent case um, in the matter of Dunstall uh, where a, uh, a person returned a positive reading, uh, had the blood test, uh, but the blood test couldn't uh, have any results uh, revealed. That was uh, because uh, the blood had actually um, 
I suppose, become to a point where it was so degenerated it couldn't be tested. Uh, they ran an argument, and at first instance, um, Mr Dunster was successful by, by saying that, well, my blood couldn't be tested properly, therefore how was I to know that possibly my rate of elimination was high or the machine was flawed, so I could have actually returned a, a negative reading. Uh, as I said, he was successful on first instance, but the High Court overturned that. Uh, and found that the only way uh, that someone could rely on a defence of not being able to have their blood tested, um, uh, because in that case it was just natural uh, degeneration of it, uh, where there's actually impropriety in dealing with that blood, uh, that that can only be the defence. So there is always everything to gain from having a blood test, but also bear in mind that uh, the blood test could also be your enemy if it increases significantly on the, the breath test machine. So where, I mean... If you want to have a blood test, I mean, you just what, you just go to the emergency department of the nearest public hospital, or yep. would you... and and police will escort you uh, because obviously you can't drive. Uh, you'll ordinarily have the immediate immediate loss of license served on you, uh, but you'll have a, a positive reading, so they they actually cannot let you drive. So police uh, have to take you there if you request to do so. So say I blow um, you know 0.082 or 0.083, so I'm only just over the the reading that requires the minimum six months disqualification, it really would pay for me to get a blood test um, just to check. Absolutely, uh, unless you had a whole bottle of scotch in the last half an hour, at which point you could probably expect the uh, blood to increase exponentially. Uh, but no, if you were just over 0.08 and your last drink was maybe an hour or two ago when you've been caught, uh, then certainly there's everything to gain from a blood test in that situation because it might well drop uh, below the 0.08, bearing in mind that from your initial uh, breath test, uh, there's a second test to actually determine the blood alcohol concentration. Uh, that can't be any more than, I think off the top of my head, 15 minutes after your first reading. So uh, uh, coupled with that time, as well as the time to get to hospital, by the time you have your blood test, it might be two or three hours. So at which point the rate of elimination might have uh, decreased your reading. So it's really a matter of, it's, it's not, by the time I get to hospital and have have the blood test, I mean, my blood alcohol reading is going to be lower, uh, probably, unless I've been drinking heavily in yes. the last 30 minutes. So who um, interprets, because it's the blood alcohol reading at the point you're driving, that, yes. that's, that's the, the, the law. So if, if um, I get to the hospital and I have my blood test and my blood test gives this reading, how do I argue that the reading that I showed at the hospital means that my reading when I was driving was under 0.8. Who, who can um, provide that opinion? So there is a, a provision in the Road Traffic Act that deals with the rate of elimination, uh, and it's a bit of an arithmetic to it, and I can't exactly recall off the top of my head the mathematics of it. But if um, the elimination, uh, sorry, if your reading is significantly lower on the blood test compared to the blood alcohol concentration of the machine, um, I think it's every point. 0.015 milligrams of, of alcohol over half an hour. So if you've, uh, if you've blown at, say, midnight, and then by the time you have your blood test at 3 a.m. and it returns a significantly lower reading, so long as uh, every half hour it's reduced by 0.15, again, there's mathematics of it, uh, then that will actually be a legitimate argument to, to suggest that the um, uh, breath test was uh, incorrect. And you're not going to be allowed to, I assume in that period between giving the positive reading and having a blood test, you're not going to be allowed to eat or drink anything. No, that's right. Because that might interfere with the reading. Exactly. What about the, um, you know, if, if, you're, if you're positive to cannabis or amphetamines, again, should you get a 
blood test in those circumstances? Yes, you can. Um, and uh, importantly as well with drink driving, when you do have your blood test, uh, you uh, get to keep a vial yourself. So Forensic Science SA will keep a vial. They'll uh, compile their report based on the testing of that blood. You'll have your own and you are entitled to have your own independent assessment of that blood. Uh, for example, there might be uh, medication that a driver has which uh, returns a, a reading positive for uh, methamphetamine or, or cannabis um, and you want to get your own reading to determine whether the amount in your system is commensurate with actually consuming that drug uh, in its pure form in the sense of the word or whether it's your medication. Uh, again, that's probably a, a unique example but that's also another significance of having blood tests is that you can actually have an independent assessment of your own own blood. All right. So say I, uh, I've i blown positive, um, blown over 0.8, um, blood test doesn't help me, I'm, I'm gone, um, and um, I'm going to get a summons to go to court. Yes. And uh, assuming I have no defence, uh, I mean, what possible defences would there be? But once you've hit the point where you've blown the positive reading, the blood test doesn't exonerate you. Is there any other avenues that you may have that may be able to defeat the charge? Very limited. Uh, as I uh, referred to before, the case of Dunstall, it, it's now the authority that um, unless there is impropriety on part of the police officers in dealing with uh, your blood sample, um, then uh, there is very uh, little uh, utility in challenging these matters uh, through court. Um, you are entitled uh, to discounts uh, for early pleas. Uh, those only relate to the fines. So if the magistrate was going to impose a fine higher than the minimum, uh, you can have a discount of up to 40%, uh, so long as it doesn't go below the fine. Um, but there is now a recent case uh, in the matter of police v. Holy, um, where uh, the uh, uh, discounts don't apply to disqualifications anymore. So if the magistrate imposes higher than the minimum, that will be uh, the disqualification period. So certainly if you're summoned to court, uh, you're not only going to have significant um, fines, you're going to have prosecution fees, court fees, victims of crime levy, plus the disqualification. Uh, and if you have your legal fees on top of that, you can see that it can be a very expensive uh, situation. So in what circumstances would you recommend having a lawyer represent you when you're on, up on these types of charges? Uh, I think most cases can call for a lawyer at any time with dealing with prescribed concentration of alcohol. Um, that's, that's also an important point to pick up on because that's different to DUI. Uh, DUI is where there is no reading, uh, but some, a police officer makes an observation that you're so grossly affected by an intoxicating liquor or substance. Um, so in either of those situations, drug driving, drink driving, driving under the influence, if you're intending to plead guilty, uh, there is a, a lot to gain by having a lawyer represent you. One, it takes out, uh, I suppose, the stress uh, and the emotion involved. Usually people are either going to face loss of job or um, significant issues with their home life, not being able to take kids to school or sports. Um, and so naturally when one fronts court, it's probably their first time before court, they're dealing with a the magistrate, uh, they know they're going to lose their licence and sometimes they become tongue-tied and they don't really get out what they wanted to say to the magistrate. Um, there's a reason why these matters go to court, despite the statute having minimum fines, minimum disqualification periods, is because often there are mitigatory circumstances as to why someone committed the offence 
and a lawyer can craft those uh, circumstances into some submissions uh, that can be put before the magistrate and often what a lawyer is trying to achieve in those situations is the minimum penalties. So it's a minimum fine, the minimum disqualification and here's why we say that the, the client should have that. Uh, a, a client who goes and represents themselves, they're entitled to, and they can ask the magistrate for that, but often they can be overcome by the stress and the emotion of having to talk to a magistrate and front court, and usually most people are embarrassed by having to front court for this type of offending. And um, if you are going to front court, it, it pays to be well presented and uh, don't turn up in your um, sort of death metal T-shirt and, and torn jeans. That's right. Uh, Matt, it's not unusual. I have seen it before. Uh, magistrates uh, ordering people out of the court because they're not happy with their shirts or their um, attire. Uh, it certainly does pay to um, to atter- turn up in a respectful attire. Um, the other thing that is also important in terms of preparation is uh, obtaining good character references. Uh, they, um, the character references, again, go to those mitigatory circumstances. Usually uh, people who, who commit these offences, it's the first time they've done that and it is extremely out of character, so obtaining good character references are important as well. I should also add that um, if someone is charged with drink driving and does plead guilty, uh, in just about every case uh, they will be convicted, which will go on your criminal record. That may have implications for travel or for work. It's not the most serious conviction one can have, but it's a conviction nonetheless. And they are extremely difficult to argue that a conviction should not be imposed because there's Supreme Court authority uh, that deal with that precise issue uh, and make it very difficult. So say I, I plead guilty I get a six-month disqualification. Um, what happens to me if I drive during that disqualification period and the police catch me? Yes, so if you drive whilst your licence is suspended or you are disqualified by order of the court uh, and you are caught, uh, you will uh, be charged with driving disqualified. That is considered a very serious offence in uh, South Australia. Uh, the reason for that is that we're not entitled to driver's licences. It's something that the government issue us and when that's taken away, the government take great offence and the courts take great offence to someone effectively committing an offence of dishonesty because you are actually driving whilst not allowed to do so. And uh, that uh, it can be punishable by a term of imprisonment, uh, six months for a first offence and two years for a subsequent offence. Uh, there are a number of authorities that deal uh, with whether a person should be imprisoned. Uh, just because it's a first offence uh, doesn't mean that you... Uh, will necessarily avoid prison, um, but and more often in the case there has to be an argument to the magistrate why uh, a defendant should not be imprisoned, and if it's consummatious offending, which means blatant disregard. So in your case, Mao, you've had your disqualification and you've gone. Oh, I'm going to drive to work because I need to. That will be considered consummatious, uh, a blatant disregard for the order, and more often than not, you will be facing probably a term of imprisonment in that situation. And also, am I right in saying that if you commit a certain number of, uh, if you get caught more than once in a certain time period, um, say so you, you, you get caught, you do your six months, you drive again, and you get caught basically a month later drink driving, that there are implications there in, in terms of the... Uh, what the you know you might be considered to be perhaps have a problem with alcohol if yes, you do that. That's right. So if someone commits uh, multiple drink driving offences in a short period of time, uh, the magistrates will take the view that they are alcohol dependent, and they can actually suspend your license for an indefinite period of time uh, until such time that you've gone and got treatment or sought treatment for your alcohol problem, and there has been 
I suppose, certification saying that you are no longer alcohol dependent. Uh, on top of that, when you do get your license back off and you can have the mandatory interlock scheme, which is the little machine in, in your car that you have to blow into before you can start it. So there are a number of implications for repeat offenders. Um, thank you, Luke. Um, I think that that's been very informative thank and you. hopefully... Uh, well, hopefully that our listeners won't need any assistance with these types of matters, but if they do, well, um, they'll know where to go. So you've been listening to Law & Life, proudly sponsored by TGB Lawyers, 6 Anne Street at Salisbury and 11A Adelaide Road, Gawler. And we'll be back in four weeks' time, and I think we'll be talking about wills and estates again. And we're going to leave you with um, uh, a thoughtful song to, to reflect on, on the right to drive and or not the right to drive, the obligations you have when you have a driver's licence.